0: podcast series, a series that investigates the mysterious decline of Australian Rugby Union. It's a fan's journey into the void to pick up the pieces of Australian Rugby Union and find a path forward to fortune and glory. I'm your host and humble rugby servant, Matt Durrant. And welcome to episode 17. This is a very unique episode because I'm teaming up with some heavyweights from the Australian Rugby Podcast community. It's a Australian Rugby Podcast Royal Rumble of sorts. It will be me teaming up with Ando from the Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast, Mitch from Rugby Fixation, and Nelson from Draft Rugby Podcast. Uh, the four of us got together earlier today to have a chat in the wake of the semifinal loss between uh, the... And I say loss, because clearly, obviously, I'm a force supporter. Um, But, you know, we analysed the game, and we're looking at the grand final in Brisbane this week, between the Reds and the Brumbies, and discussed a great number of things. Um, I really recommend you listen to those guys, subscribe to their podcasts. Uh, They're a bit different, but together, we all sort of fill the gaps of Australian rugby right now. And uh, it was a great chat, and really enjoyed talking to them. Uh, I've got some more episodes coming up later this month. And I'm working on some stuff. So again, I apologize for some delays in transmission, but uh, I'm working on some future episodes. So anyway, in the meantime,
1: here's me and the guys. Hello and welcome to a very special Oz Rugby podcast. We have gathered here together for your listening pleasure, some absolute giants of the Oz Rugby scene. So, with us is Mitch from Rugby Fixation. G'day. And we got Nelson from Draft Rugby. Here you go, boys. And Matt from Gold Digger Rugby. Hello, all. And I am your host, Ando, from the Pick and Drive Rugby podcast, and we are the creme de la creme. We've basically shafted anybody else that we normally podcast with, uh, (laughs) and it's been pretty controversial who actually got onto this episode, but this is who you've got. So you might be wondering why we're all joining together for this pod, and to tell you the story of how it came about, I'd like to throw it to the man with the voice of Velvet, the man I'm incredibly (laughs) envious about every time I hear one of his pods, Matt. How did this happen?
0: And uh, uh, it's, it's very kind of you. And I, one one thing I will say about uh, velvety voices: investing good microphones. One thing I learned a long time ago when I started making films was audio is key. So I, I yeah, look, I think the microphone is doing the work for me. But um, look, I, I appreciate that. And and I think the reason this thought came to me it was I was chatting with Mitch on a pod that we shared a few months ago, and it just. There's a changing of the guard in australian rugby right now both on the field um in the boardrooms and certainly on on our tv screens and it just felt like in the podcast australian rugby podcast well there was also a bit of a change i know nelson and and his draft rugby team have been doing it for a few years but you know we, we saw rugby ruckus hang up the boots um green and gold hang up the boots and say so, you know there was this sort of little shift and and I just thought, well, I've certainly been enjoying it for the last year or two because that's been how I've been getting a lot of my information about what's been going on in the game. And uh, you know, I thought, well, perhaps we should all just scrum down and you know, <laughs> see what we all think. Perhaps share some views. Maybe it'll work. Maybe it'll be an abject failure. I don't know. So if <laughs> if it is, I can we can blame me because this was partly
2: my idea. <laughs> and then Mitch, you
1: jumped in and thought, hey, that'll be all right.
2: Well, I think <laughs> the thing was I had. Um, I think I've had all three of you on my podcast at different points now. And the takeaway for me was people aren't coming to listen to me and Cody. They want the, the <laughs> voice of the Australian rugby. They want to know what's going on, not just from a very biased Reds perspective and a very, you know, grumpy Taz perspective, but you know what's going on in the world of rugby. Because as Matt said, like with the stand sport introduction with Super Rugby AU and this whole new sporting landscape, there has been a real different change in how people access uh, rugby. And I just got so many positive takeaways from uh, having you guys on, uh, as you've already said, Matt's voice, uh, but also the way he can transition between conversations. A lot of my listeners were uh, going gaga for it. Um, and then when I had Nelson and Harry on, just the level of detail, the number of people that talk to me about the casualty ward and just the amount of research that goes into how many injuries players have, mm-hmm. oh, those guys do so much for the game. And then to have mm-hmm. you know, the pick and drive duo of uh, Mitch and Ando, just the amount of, positivity and passion that came from that and you know the willingness to step up at tipping comp and create a trophy for that it's just probably the most positive rugby's been and so i really jumped on the idea that matt had of you know grouping all this together and just saying you know what comes of it like sharing the positive experiences uh from as many different views as possible
1: now nelson you've probably been the longest serving podcaster amongst us all uh how have you seen the landscape within the podcasting world change over the last say 18 months or so
3: oh look it's i mean you, you've boys have really summed it up well I think there has been a bit of a changing of the guards and I know I sit there and I listen to all your podcasts and I listen to every Aussie rugby podcast that there ever is you know it, we, we all love rugby that's why we're doing this and, and that's why we want to have our opinions heard and and talk to people that you know love rugby as well and I get a massive kick out of it I got a massive kick out of being invited on, on this with you boys because it's genuinely exciting i think we're in a point for rugby in australia there are more voices and there are more positive voices and i think that's that's only going to be a good thing moving forward
1: agree. Basically, the only reason why I said yes to this is because it gave me an opportunity to wear a white college shirt and a blazer on a Sunday night. So I'm pretty happy about this whole situation. Um, Now, for those of you, dear listeners who are wondering, when will we get more of this? Just know that my Mitch is incredibly salty that I'm on the podcast and not him. So I'm pretty sure we'll be having another one of these as soon as we can organize it. And I'm sure that Curtis and some of the other boys may well be feeling the same.
0: Yeah, he must feel like like half the force squad right now, just holding crash pads while everyone else gets the fun.
1: <laughs> That's very topical, and we may well get there a bit later in the pod. So, on that note, why don't I go through and tell you what we're going to be covering tonight? We'll see what we get through. We've got a lot on the agenda. I think it's ambitious. The team think it thinks that they can cover it all. Let's see how far we go. So, we're just going to have a bit more of a chat about the Oz Rugby Podcast landscape, who we are, why we do what we do that kind of thing, before we just comment a little bit more broadly about some of the changes that we'd already mentioned about rugby in 2021, what our observations are and what our hopes might well be for the future. In addition, we'll obviously cover the qualifying final last night between the Brumbies and the Force. We'll preview the final between the Reds and the Brumbies now that we know that the Brumbies are through. We'll comment on a player of the competition, a moment of the competition, and if we have time, if we have time, we will also do the thing that all good podcasts love doing and is picking your wallabies team well ahead of time. So I'm very excited for that. And why don't we jump into the podcast life to begin with? Um, Matt, I think yours is probably the point of difference between the rest of ours with gold digger rugby. So for the rest of us, for rugby fixation, for draft rugby and pick and drive rugby pod, we are all in a way, basically a weekly review of the round um we each have our own little emphases and points of difference but you yours is a little bit different so can you talk to us about who you are what you do and why you do it
0: yeah look so i i made i made a film which will come out this year and and it was a critical point for me to wallaby fan where i just i really was close to throwing it all in and then i realized how Uh, silly that was and that actually you you know one of my bugbears is people that give up on on the team that walk out at sort of the 78 79 minutes when the game isn't finished and I thought well that's sort of what I'm doing I'm walking away from a game I love without understanding what why I'm I'm unhappy and so the, the the gold digger was basically is a journey into trying to examine what's happened in Australian rugby and you know now my my big theme is we just need to look for the positives and we need to look for the things we can control and there's actually a there are some big silver linings so this the podcast is a bit like that i'm, I'm sort of a combination of looking back but also trying to look at what's happening now and when i thought of a podcast doing one i, I had all this material from the uh, documentary because i've interviewed some people but i also thought you know there's enough great podcasts that are looking at the match by uh, match review I don't really want to compete with that I'd rather try and do something that sort of fits in amongst that little ecosystem so people can hopefully uh, yeah, listen to my thing in addition to draft fixation pick and drive, um, ruckus, report card whatever else is out there Mm
1: I hear that. And so then going to Mitch, because I think you have this capacity to blend a ridiculous amount of knowledge about the Australian and the New Zealand competitions with the mathematical brain that you have. I don't remember, I don't understand how you hold all that information in your head, but you seem to. Um, how, did, how did you get started in the podcasting
2: world? I think for me, I had been listening to so many rugby podcasts and I thought I talk about rugby non-stop. Like I'm constantly annoying my mates with it. I got to the point where I think it must have been after a particular week in a rugby where I sent about 20 messages pretty much to myself with no reply. I'm like, I'm just annoying people with this. I'll, I'll just talk into a microphone. Someone will hear <laughs> it. If they like it, that's great. Um, if not, you know, I'm getting all my venting out without annoying my mates. Um, and so I've I really enjoyed it because now it's nearly more of an excuse to sit on the couch and, you know, watch rugby for far too many hours of the weekend. Um, got a very patient wife that, you know, is happy to let me do that. and um, you know. When I say I'm getting up at 3 a.m. to watch, you know, the Bulls versus Lions, she's not questioning that. She's like, yeah, no, of course you would. That's <laughs> that's what you want to talk about. Um, so for my brother and I, I think we were just, you know, he's over in London. It was a great excuse for us to chat to each other, but also talk rugby, which we'd normally do anyway.
1: I'm constantly amazed at the nature of your marriage and how that seems to be just an integrated part of your relationship with your missus. I'm, en- I'm not—I wouldn't say I'm envious, but I admire it greatly. <laughs> so, Nelson, how about you? How did you guys get started a few years back, and what's kept
3: that burn going, that passion going for podcasting? Look, I think the the biggest thing for us, we sort of started wanting wanting to do a fantasy platform. That was our first goal um, and we thought what do you want if you're doing fantasy football and we want information and and we want to be able to hear about that as well so similar to Mitch we love our rugby, we love talking about rugby and my poor wife and, and patients and things deal with it 24-7 so it was good to be able to get our voices together. We've played fantasy footy for maybe 10 years or so now so get those voices together and just see if we can add some form of value there. And Honestly, I I think fantasy football is just a really good positive way to get people loving footy and, and watching more footy because, you know, it could be a dead rubber match, but you're still invested because you've got some of your players that you want to watch and, you know, you want to get every little bit of information you can out of every match. So you don't want to miss a moment. and And I think that's just something we want to share.
1: Yeah, it's very much valued. I uh, depend entirely upon your casualty ward uh, notifications and and web pages so that we have an understanding of who's actually in or out. So thank you for that service as well, for what you guys provide with your stats there. Um, For Mitch and I, for um, Pick and Drive, it was really just when we spoke about changing of the guard with the finishing up of green and gold rugby finishing up of um also the fox sports rugby podcast as well they cool. they stopped too um i i have a bit of a drive to and from work every single day and i take my kids to daycare and drop them off at daycare and stuff going there and back and i couldn't have a podcast that had heaps of swearing in it just because i've got like a four-year-old in the back of the car i don't want him to like some of his keywords to be swear words and so i couldn't listen to the uh rugby report card i couldn't listen to most overseas rugby podcasts either That and there was no Australian rugby podcast. So I was like, well, I guess I'll do it. I guess I'll write one and not write one, but just start one up. And so that's genuinely where we got the swearing, no swearing thing for our pod from. It's purely so if people want to listen to it in the car with the kids, they can. Um, And aside from that, we just wanted to take positive because there's so much negativity. It seems like the 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 niche thing or the the trendy thing within Australian rugby is to be really angry and negative (laughs) and so we just thought we'd like buck the trend and actually have something positive to say about the game so that's that's where we started and what why we've continued because it's just been fun from then on but considering the nature of the change that we've had over the last really 18 months particularly since all the big structural changes happened with the coronavirus coming in Super Rugby AU starting up up and then changing over to stand there's been a lot of change um matt mm. what have been some of the takeaways from you that you have probably most enjoyed about this period of change in australian rugby
0: oh, i think the honesty and the transparency now in terms of where we're at we know that rugby's been on its knees uh you know we, we, we look at the performance the wallabies and you know we all scratch our heads but i think a lot of the truth is coming out now around the complexities of the the business side of of it um you know what the administration is actually up against in terms of commercializing the sport um where we, you know we know where we need to sort of do work we know that there are clubs and, and grassroots that want support that love the game they're still turning out and so you know I, I just feel like we we're kind of it's almost like we're undergoing therapy right now and we're still in it we're not out we've had maybe had some couple of good sessions but it's a bit premature to sort of say all right we, now we know what problem is we can all go back to business. I think you know it's been honest and I think part of that has also been yeah, people, you know, people in the media sort of coming out saying things, players speaking out, um coaches speaking their mind and and you know, it just feels even in the coverage we see week to week now, uh, as a viewer you're not treated like uh, a child like they, you know, they'll they'll talk about a problem and you know, it'll be, you know, spoken about constructively rather than just sort of talking things down or, you know, pointing Pointing fingers at people.
1: I saw one of those really good points with the, um, I guess it wasn't a criticism, but the statement that Tim Horan put out there in regards to Dave Vessels being a dead man walking. But then Mm. the very next opportunity at the weekend's match, they actually had Dave Vessels come and speak to them and spoke directly about that comment and had him speak to some of the challenges that he was facing at the time. And I I don't think that that contributed to his decision to resign, but it's just an element of facing up to the challenges and the struggles that are happening. And I'm not sure if you'd have that same level of Within a previous broadcast style, um, yeah. Mitch, what have you particularly enjoyed about Super Rugby AU? Anything in terms of the structure
2: or the law variations that have really tickled your fancy? Yeah, I was going through the law variations, and some of them have been real winners, I think. And even though I don't think we need to include all of them in you know future uh, competitions, some of them have been really good. Um, the one that I think is beneficial just as a training thing, and it doesn't need to continue necessarily, is the fifty twenty two. Just seeing how, you know, Australian kickers really haven't been super, I guess, consistent uh, with tactical kicking. Having that as a you know added benefit, trying to work on that, it's forced a lot of the fly halves, but in particular, the inside backs to try and, you know, work on that kicking game as well. So we've seen, you know, a lot of players we wouldn't expect to get them, you know, Paisami and Patea are going for them now. We've got a few more of the players that, you know, are willing to put their hand up and maybe have a crack uh, if it is working for them. Filalfa and- Inga, yep. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I I was screaming at the TV for that, but that's um know, yeah, we'll we'll get to that match I'm sure. Um and I think even the goal line dropout, that's that's probably the most divisive one because some people love the scrums and I particularly think you know some teams deserve to be rewarded with it. But it's really just changed people's um communications with the game, which has been great because a lot of the stand representatives, uh, in particular uh, Ben Kimber, if you've got any feedback on the game, you voice voiced it on Twitter and they reply within an hour. You know, like they're so. Um, ready to adjust and adapt to whatever people want. So I've really enjoyed seeing all the changes they've made both with the game in terms of the law variations, but also just with the viewing of the game. Um, That's made it really improve for the spectator. Nelson, is there a particular takeaway from the stand broadcast that you've been
1: enjoying or has really been a thing that you've noticed so far this year?
3: Yeah, look, I I think just straight from the get-go, the the positives behind they're actually being a face for rugby you know we we started to see some of the players we started to see some of their stories and and the background behind these players so we could actually start to you know get those heroes back in in rugby in Australian rugby and Stan have done that really really well I I found it really positive how they've done you know new camera angles they've been trying their spider cams and, and just trying something different you know I think rugby got a little bit stale in the way it was shown and and you know there's new voices they're more positive and we're trying different things and i i just think that's that's an awesome thing to be a part of and watching and you know you feel like you're more engaged i i I believe that
0: cine cam after a try is just delicious i mean i love it i i I feel like at any point in time christian bale or tom Hardy's going to pop in out of a huddle and do a monologue (laughs) (laughs) Um, it's just so cinematic um i don't know what else you you, you couldn't do it better unless you got chris nolan to to direct a a a game
3: but it's just fantastic i've got one question for you boys about this about uh one of the the rule changes so for now for two years we've had the the 20 minute red card Mm. so i think last year i don't think there was a single red card so i didn't really get to experience it this year we've actually had eight and if we add up the points that have been scored by the team that has been punished against the team that has actually had, you know, the advantage, if you've been punished, you have scored three more points combined out over all that period of time than the teams that, you know, were supposed to be rewarded. Mm. So, I mean, I, I think in a spectacle level, I think it's really, really interesting and I, I really quite like it. But what do you guys think? Do you think, Something has to be done slightly differently here. Uh, have we diminished the the punishment enough? Or maybe if it is something like a, a punch that Andrew Reddy did, does that need to be different? Does that need to be off for the match because it's been cynical?
2: Mitch? Uh, for me personally, I, I was looking into the red cards because out of those eight, I think four of them happened after the 65th minute. So yep. those four, they didn't get the same level of I guess, impact that they were supposed to receive. But those first four, the perfect example is that first match, the Waratahs versus the Reds. Um, Izzy Parisi is red-carded in the 33rd minute or something like that. And that 20-minute period, the Reds had scored 21 points before that and they scored zero during that time. Um, yep. So teams obviously do practice playing with the 14 men. They have to adapt. And as your stats sort of indicate, like it nearly benefits them. But um, i really like the 20-minute red card because I think it, it changes the game completely from being a... Penalty now for the infringing player, and not the whole team, because if you're yep. red carded in the first ten minutes of the match, you can't defend with fourteen players for that long, not against a like team. Whereas if you've got someone else to come back on after twenty minutes, if the offence is bad enough, that person's gone, but you know your team's not impacted um, directly. So I've really appreciated the uh, the the red card change.
3: Yeah,
0: yeah, I think it has sort of, you know, you're right. It has changed things in terms of the 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 way a game is played. And I think like a a team down to 14 men just suddenly become very defensive, like overly defensive everywhere else. They just completely shut, try to shut down the opposition at breakdowns and in the middle of the the ground. And so I wonder if that's part of the reason why teams are not able to then take advantage of it because um, the defences are just so, you know, quick to react. But I did also wonder whether that, you know, the red cards are sort of, and maybe we'll talk about the red card last night, whether the the, the referees have got a little less pressure on them now to feel like they're not going to impact a game. So I know they go through a, 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 you know, sort of a they have to tick a few boxes to, to get the outcome, but, you know, they still have to make a sort of judgment call at some point. And, you know, that pressure is now not there, that was there when it was assessing
3: a red card in the 10th minute of the game.
1: Nelson, did you have some thoughts that you had coming into this before you asked us?
3: Oh, look, I was just intrigued to see how you guys saw it. I think it does probably give the, the referee ability that they can actually, you know, look after player safety a little bit more and are on that side of, look, you can't do that. You, you've you've got to be mm-hmm. sent off. And, and maybe that's a positive thing, but it does feel funny looking at it to see that there's eight red cards this year. And yes, maybe we're being stricter, but... Maybe, uh, I don't know, does, does the punishment seem less dangerous to, to be overly aggressive early on and, and do some of those high tackles? Because majority, I think four of them have been high tackles um, and it just seems like you end up getting a three-week ban no matter what <laughs> outside, <laughs> outside of it. But look, I, I think it's been really positive, but it is interesting how it's going to change the, the game moving forward.
1: Yeah, I think I would be along the lines of it's a big positive. Um, I've really been enjoying the fact that you don't get that huge excuse that yep. comes at the end of a game. So, I mean, if you think of the match, Wallabies versus New Zealand in Perth, Scotty Barrett gets sent off. And whilst I love mm. him playing for the All Blacks because he always gets sent off against us, um, it basically just it provides that asterisk after the, after the win. It says, yeah, but you only won because... Yeah. And I like that that is taken away. Um, I hear what you're saying about the difference between, say, a tired tackle, a tired high shot, or a cynical play like Andrew Reddy's fist to the face. Um, yep. I do think there is a difference, but for me, I'd be happy with the um, with the match review panel to be deciding the difference there. I don't mind if it's still yep. the same throughout the game. Oh, yeah. I
0: thought Andrew was just... I thought there was something on his chin. He was just helping him wipe it off. I, that was my... <laughs> point that's guess, very kind. Yeah. I
3: think that's well, the best thing Sinclair's done for the tires. Get punched in the face <laughs> that helped us a lot. <laughs>
1: um, well, on that note of high shots, why don't we shift across to the Brumbies versus the Western Force that was played last night down mm-hmm. at GIO Stadium in freezing cold weather? And I mean, I don't think the Tony Pui red card in the extra time of the first half is really the big talking point to come out of that game. Um, I know Michael Checker was a little bit. Uh, unsurprisingly controversial in some of the opinions that he put out there. But to me, it was actually pretty cut and dried. Um, so let's just start with this point. For me, Poey doesn't need to go into tackle, into that tackle. There are already two men in front of him that have taken, um, I think it was Simone who made the tackle on Simone. And he comes in, arm gets trapped behind Felidhi too. definitely clocks him straight in the face with his shoulder. With the current interpretations, it is a red card. Uh, The only possible mitigating is because the guy had already been tackled, but I don't see any massive thing out of that. Uh, Let's go. Matt, you're the force fan here. What did you think about that red card? Look, uh,
0: and, and there's, I'm coming into this new world of actually understanding that we do need these things. But there's that gut reaction that I get, which is always, "Oh, that's rubbish," right? So, so that, <laughs> I, I, and then, and then I stopped, and then you look at the the slow motion. Like, okay, clearly he makes contact with the head. Uh, definitely a card. My 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 thought was that there was just no consideration to any of the mitigation, such as um, the fact that uh, you know he he sort of didn't go forward. Um, the the attacking player is sort of dipped in. To him, you're right. His arm wasn't able to get round. Um, You know, he was in the wrong place at the wrong time, as far as I could could tell. And and I thought it was perhaps more of a yellow card offence. But um, it didn't surprise me that he gave him the red because, as you said, they've been pretty hard core. I, I would I would argue if that had happened in New Zealand, whether he would have got a probably would have just got a penalty going on uh, the current sort of <laughs> standard. Dane Coles would well. have
1: just said, "Mate, we're having a little bit of fun," and a ref would have gone, "Oh yeah, cool. okay, <laughs> yeah. play on, play on." Yeah. So, yeah, no,
0: but look, you're. you're I, I thought in the end, I, I mean, again, as we've said, it didn't really take away from the game, thankfully. And then the force reacted. They were already playing this sort of pacifying sort of yep. uh, type of defense. So, you know, it didn't change. But, yeah, it, it is one of those things that becomes a talking point. But I think, look, Czech is saying it's, you know, not even <laughs> a car defense, or I think that's probably completely wrong. I'm happy to disagree with him on that. <laughs>
1: All right, that's the uh, headline for our social media thing. (laughs) Matt says Checker is wrong. Checker has no clue. Um, (laughs) All right, Mitch, please regale us with
2: some fantastic
1: stats and insights about this game from
2: Saturday night. Over to you. So the game, uh, really the biggest difference was uh, the Brumbies outside backs because both teams kicked three penalties, but the Brumbies scored two tries, uh, one each to Tom Wright and Tom Banks, who are looking more and more a in for those Wallabies jerseys. Um, the Force, to the credit, took all penalty goal options available to them and kicked three from three, so tried to keep themselves in the match. Uh, the Brumbies only missed the one kick, but looked um, pretty happy to turn down a penalty kick, so we'll probably talk about it a bit later. Uh, the Brumbies ran for three times as many metres with double the amount of runs. So it was 490 metres to 166. It really showcased that the Force backs in particular didn't get as much ball. And the big highlight for me, I think it was 57 runs um, and a bit over 100 metres for the Brumbies' backs, whereas the Force had about 17 runs um, in the back. So it was just a real uh, stark difference. Uh, uh, the Brumbies had 62% of the possession and 71% of the territory, yet despite that, the Force kicked the ball um, 21 times compared to the Brumbies' 20. So whenever they did get the ball, they were really happy to just get rid of it. Um, they had a pretty good chase game with Oliver Feller, but... Didn't capitalize probably as much as they should have uh, and then in terms of the attacking stats, it was six clean breaks to nil uh for the brumbies 20 defenders beaten to eight and five offloads to two uh they did concede uh three more turnovers but when you're doing that uh, that much of an attack i think it probably indicates just how much close you were to the trial line and just how much more opportunity you had to actually score tries uh, but all in all a really tight game because of the forces defense and I think that was the, an interesting aspect to it. Is It seemed
1: like the force came to play a spoiling role against the Brumbies' attack. And for yeah. large parts of the game, they were fantastic at, Doing that. It Really, it was only in the last five minutes of that first half that the floodgates started to open. And those two kind of quick tries, all those points just were accrued in the last few minutes of that half. <laughs> but at the same time, I wonder if that defensive role they had to play over the huge amount of tackles they were making just blunted their attack, because they were just able to do nothing with it. And the majority of kicks that they were doing were just Um, On the defensive, going backwards, having to clear their own lines. And so the Brumbies are just ready to counter as soon as they get the ball. Uh, Let's go with Nelson. How, How did you kind of read the game? What were some of the takeaways that you had from it as to why the Brumbies got up?
3: Look, I, I think there's a, a, a big thing for the the Brumbies since getting Slipper and Al back as their starting props. Um I thought the interesting thing out of this in terms of that scrum that Robertson for the force was awesome. Uh, I think his work in the scrum was was massive. And Allah Alatoa was actually on the back foot quite a few times and actually got the, the force got pay out of that and, and kicked a penalty out of it as well. And interestingly on on both sides we had a few early lineouts thrown not straight things like that something that's been an ongoing problem i think for for rugby in australia and and these are a couple of hookers that are probably putting their hands up in in other aspects for all of these jerseys but it's still just something a little bit little bit wet maybe on on the weekend and just yeah there's a few few issues around that but players like Rob Valentini standing up yet again and oh, I think for him he's since pre-season if you boys saw the pre-season trial he's just been getting better and better and and I think he's almost a lock for that Wallaby 6 jersey he had seven tackle busts to try six, 68 meters from 13 carries so he, he's looking immense and I know he's put his hand up said if bitsamu's injured he wants to play that 8 jersey and, and he'll try to lead the boys but um a few injuries out of this one could be costly moving forward for them with Samu looking like he had a pretty serious knee injury, Finger and Slipper both injured. So it'll be interesting to see if they can play next week.
1: I have an opinion about Samu that I just... I don't know, Slipper goes down early in the first half with a knee injury, doesn't really show much pain, gets strapped up and then keeps going for nearly the rest of the half. Samu takes a knee buckle and is just down, not moving on the floor in a lot of pain. Now, I don't know whether the injury is one was much worse than the other. But I've just got this theory for a while that Samu is a bit of a glass jaw merchant. It just, just one big hit and he's absolutely gone. Um, I don't know how resilient he is with some of the big hits that he has to be making as number
3: eight. Yeah, interestingly, I, I, I feel like he is becoming a little bit more that way inclined. He, he seemed to be a lot more physical when he first came across from the Crusaders and and it has sort of faded a little bit. Um, I know I wouldn't want him tackling me or running at me but he's yeah he just doesn't seem to have I suppose some of that grit that he probably has had in the past
1: Mm. now Matt as the token force fan on this panel and the only one that really had a huge vested interest in the outcome of this game except for Mitch maybe as a Reds fan uh, what were your takeaways what did you did you feel a sense of pride with the force of how they played or that this was a missed opportunity even Look, I, you know, I, I, I was, it's it's tough watching games in the UK
0: because they're in the morning. So if the team doesn't go well, you then got to, uh, you know, last the rest of the day with that sort of bit of feeling. Um, I, I was pretty happy with the way the game was going and I'd really gave ourselves a chance come halftime. I thought, you know, we can do this again. We just rattle the Brumbies. Uh, it, you know, you're right. It was, it, 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 there were times though where it felt like it was quite open and because the force had have that intent. So I sort of rather it been an arm wrestle. I thought at times it was almost like a free flowing fist fight, but the Brumbies were totally up for that. And as, as you said, Mitch, their back three and their outside backs were just, just salivating for the ball. And every time Wright got it, he looks like he was going to do something. Um, you know, you could tell it was sort of dangerous. Every time you had, it was go forward. And then you add Valentini just pumping up the forward. So, I, I then sort of, yeah, that that kind of bit of feeling started to come in probably somewhere in the second half. But no, I was I was happy with the force, the way they have played. I liked that Godwin afterwards in the post-match um, sort of speech said that they felt bad and they were sorry to the fans. Of course, the fans sort of, you know, loved them either way. But I like that the players feel that way, that they're not just there to make up the numbers. They genuinely thought they could win. And hopefully they genuinely think that they can win some games in, in the Trans-Tasman going forward.
1: Mitch, what were some of the highlights for you throughout this game that got you excited for next week's matchup?
2: Um, if I'm being biased to the reds, I guess the injuries to some of those key Brumbies players, <laughs> <laughs> uh, No, look, watching the game. I think one of the things I really wanted to see was Iketao stand out because his early season form was nearly enough to catapult him straight to the 13 Jersey. And in the recent weeks, I guess. Um, he's tried to play a bit more of a defensive game and the other teams have actually forced that they've played into the Brumbies hands um, and, and limited what he can do in attack. But I thought he just had a stellar game. That first run he did really set the tone for how the Brumbies wanted to attack. It was like five defenders the into in that run, got them up 50 meters through the field. And just from that, you could see Gee, these Brumbies backs just want to attack. And I think it probably, you know, shocked the force because that's what their mantra was. They put uh, Jake Strine at the back because that was their intent as well. And, uh, the Brumbies didn't give them the chance. Uh, but on top of that, Valetani, it's already been said he's for me, the only candidate for the sixth Jersey um, at the moment, he's just playing so well. Um, and I just want to see him keep improving, but um, Tom Robertson to me, he is nearly the most hard done by guy to not be in that Wallabies of um, training squad at the moment. Cause his form at loose has been unreal. Like he's holding up Tupo when he's scrumming against him, he's holding up Ella Lotoa. These are two of the biggest and hardest, you know, uh, tight heads to hold up in a scrum in Australia. So if he's able to do that, um, I don't see why he wouldn't be given a chance against the French or the All Blacks, um, where their tight heads are probably at a similar or even lower level than the Aussie ones.
1: That's How
0: pretty old is cool. Tom
2: Robertson? He's twenty six, I think. Yeah, yeah that, but... that's
0: like that's that's a great age for a prop. Like yeah. you know, we we often see them come into the. The Super Rugby level, even the Wallabies, at a very young age, and I think it's that's when they really do. Stay. I mean, talk, I'm not a prop, but talk to any front row, and they'll tell you that you usually like like a fine wine, you get better with age, <laughs> and, and then and then obviously you you turn at sort of 37, thirty
1: seven, thirty six. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, I'm not that that age, and I've already turned. Don't you worry. <laughs> yeah. Now, there were a couple of players that really stood out in this match. I think we've already spoken and uh, hyped up um, Valentini, Rob Valentini, for his efforts. And I think there's a really strong case to be made, like Mitch said, for him being the run on Wallaby 6. I also, I'll I'll give my shout-out before I throw it over to you, Nelson. Um, I was super impressed with Rory Scott. I haven't really seen much of him so far this season. But he seems to be having these really crucial turnovers. So he's a ruck monkey that seems to do it at the right times, but he's also big enough that he can get thrown up in the air in a line out as well, which I think if you just look forward and and think about potential future sevens down the track, having somebody that is a ruck monkey, but also is useful in the line out, unlike Pocock, unlike Hooper and the issues we had there, that that just kind of excites me. Down the track, if he continues to progress well, so Rory Scott, I was super
3: impressed with. How about you, Nels? Yeah, I, I've been. I mean, I, I didn't know much about Rory Scott until I heard someone call him Poey. And for me, as soon as someone calls you Poey, as a back rower, that sounds pretty exciting. So apparently, he's pretty strong in the gym, and he, his work, you know, in, in the training field is is pretty immense as well. He's, he's a very exciting player coming through. Um, we already talked about how good Valentini was. Banks was. Banks scored a hundred and. I've got 109 meters, two line breaks, three tackle busts, and I think for him, he's just finding a really a good balance and when to inject himself into a game. Now we've all known he can do it, but he seems to be picking the right opportune moments th- these days, and and that's that's a really good thing to see. Nick White, I think he didn't overplay his hand. Brilliant passing game. And I think he's got the best passing game in, in rugby in Australia for, from the halfback perspective. But McDermott offers something different. Jake Gordon offers something something in between the both of them. But there's a lot to like about this Brumby side. And I think, you know, right through that back line, they're, they're lethal, as the Reds are as well. So I can't wait for next week.
1: I think Nick White's yeah, contribution, exactly. my favourite contribution by him, was where there was middle of the second half, that Tom Banks half break that he got, well, he got clean through and then got the cover defence, got him. But Nick White parts it, passes it out to Scotty Ceo and then White really sells by sprinting the wrap around. And then when um, Ceo plays it out, everybody thinks it's going out to Nick White, but then Banks is coming in on the underline and gets straight through. And that doesn't happen unless Nick White sells the wrap. And right. to me, it was just beautiful because I'm like, Matt, you, you just committed, you know, exactly what's happening. You've set things up properly and you don't often see, like, I mean, I'm a Waratahs fan, so our team has been horrific, <laughs> but you just compare that to the attempted line-out play we made near the end of our last match against the Rebels. And you just think, man, they're worlds apart. So I loved the offering that Nick White had there. Uh, Matt, now, any players? Now, while there's this <laughs> Nick White love fest going on, I want
0: to provide the counter to that. Um, uh, second half, I think it was. It was at first half, um, scrum down, fourth scrum, pretty crucial piece of possession. And um, everyone, including the commentators, seemed to miss Nick White. Uh, you know, borderline molest Thomas Cabelli <laughs> as he's trying to put the ball in. And I don't know if anyone <laughs> saw it, but it was this cheeky little bum tap on the other side. Cabelli stands up, looks around, remonstrates, and then gets pinned for for not putting it in. Yeah, and, and the... Rev- and the replays didn't show it, the commentators didn't show it. And I thought, goodness, but that is just, in this day and age, it's very rare for a halfback to to do commit a, a light foul, a misdemeanor, we might say, mm-hmm. and not get not get caught for it at all. Look, uh,
3: you, You've got to love, I'm a back row and always played, you know, open side flanker. So my games have been based on niggling people and annoying people. So I absolutely yeah. love to see something like that.
0: I and get away with it this is amazing. It, yeah. I, I, I thought I just thought the force would pull it back and sort of comply but I think Cabelli I mean Argentinian they they'd probably used to far worse in their sort of uh, <laughs> yeah. battleground in Argentina provincial rugby I think he was just you to see Cabelli was waiting to get him back and then of course <laughs> another scrum later we 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 collapse and um I think uh, Barry said well that's a second offence and it's a long arm so yeah. I mean, again game didn't come down to that but yeah god it was it was a tough one <laughs> yeah. to to Stomach so is
1: that a critique of Nick White or a championing of him because he got away for it.
0: It, it? It's both. It's the both. It's the yeah. it's the classic. I hate him, but I wish he was on my side doing the yeah. same
1: thing. Yeah. Uh, Mitch, any players outside of Rob Valentini that you thought had a particularly influential game?
2: I think it's um, worthwhile noting Luke Reimer, who made his debut but also had that last-ditch uh, penalty. He um, was the one that turned the ball over right at the end to get the Brumbies that uh, penalty that took them, I think, from 15 to 18 and just stretched that lead. It could have been 18 to 21, but it was a really pivotal um, pilfer. And I just thought for a guy on debut to come out feeling pretty big shoes and just look completely, um, you know, as if he belongs, it, it's a real system that the Crusaders have de- uh, developed so well and the Brumbies have developed so well. Where if you're in the system, you just you turn up in the 23 and you can play. It doesn't matter how many caps you've got, you've just been in that environment where uh, you know exactly what to do. Um, So a personal perspective, he was great. But then I want to credit the force because there were probably two or three times where the ball was there, the Brumbies had made a break, and they completely piled over them and destroyed the ruck, destroyed whoever was trying to seal it off. You don't see teams do it very often in professional rugby. It's really a club-level thing because by professional area, you're suspected that you can protect your own ball But the force. They just had this intent to get the ball because they knew that if they starved the Brumbies of it, they wouldn't win. Um, so I want to give credit to them because their players really dug in for those rucks and it's probably the first team I've seen do it so successfully uh, multiple times against the Brumbies. I think a big part
1: of it as well was the maul defence that the Western Force had. Uh, they have a couple of tall timbers in uh, Sidaleki tamani and, um, oh my gosh, having a mental blank the other lock. Thank you. Thank, you. thank you. I always have one mental blank per episode, so thank you. I've got that one out of the way now. Um, but the two of them <laughs> just managed to disrupt the. The, the driving more really, really well. So you actually saw the Brumbies <laughs> start to actually not go for it, but then to do set plays as after they were setting up for the mall. So I think they mm-hmm. recognised the fact that maybe they weren't going to get the bank out of the malls that they have against nearly every other team. And that's a big credit to the force. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Medrano
0: was very busy off the ball as well. And I think you're right that, that just seeing that sort of level of defense and that uh, not panic, but sort of, Uh, banding together at the white line Uh, the force usually the force of old have often just you know let that tries in that that final sort of stage and and to see them really start to fight make teams work um that's been kind of enjoyable to to watch as a just as a rugby player because you want teams to be able to do that um and i think to see it clay i mean i don't know if people expect in a high scoring game but i I just thought for 18-9 this was a sensational game because it was a a, a game of chess The the Brumbies were like one pass off it absolutely opening up and you could see that and the mm. force just kept denying them that last pass that would have sort of you know turned into a try or a you know a 20 meter um, game.
1: Nelson any final summary comments of that final before we move on to the upcoming match between the
3: Reds and the Brumbies? Uh, not, not a lot. I just wanted to touch on what I thought about that, the driving more defence. It's, it's interesting, pretty early you saw the Brumbies who have been so dominant with their driving moors resorting to their, their trick plays. So I, I think the force have been very, very good at shutting that down throughout the entire season. So the Brumbies came into this one still willing to back themselves because I think they went for it at least three occasions with penalties and and really getting no pay out of it. And I mean, that is just absolutely brilliant to see from the force. But it will be interesting to see how how the Brumbies, you know, do they take that forward into next week against the Reds as well? Or, you know, it's it's quite tricky. They've they've earned themselves this right to be able to have fear from the other teams and they're driving malls over the last few years, but it's, it's slightly faded throughout this year. Um, so they're starting to to move away and try to do trick plays. And I think you have to earn that, which they have done, but yeah, I, I think next week they're just going to be more inclined to take points. And, and that could be off the back of, you know, some of the work the force did there. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that's a really interesting point. So why don't we take that through now to a kind of preview of the final of Super Rugby AU between the Queensland Reds and the ACT Brumbies. Now, Mitch, as the resident Reds fan, I'm assuming you've already got your tickets. You've already got the body paint prepared to daub yourself with. Uh, How embarrassing are you going to be
2: on Saturday night? Uh, Look, healthily embarrassing, I think. Um, Just the right levels at Caxton Street would expect. Uh, but yeah, you're right. The tickets are purchased. Uh, the body paint, I'm going to have to save till next year because I haven't done enough sit-ups over the summer. But um, yeah, look, I'll have the Reds jersey on and be um, in, in full flight cheering for the boys. Um, and why well, wouldn't you? It looks like it's you know going to be the match of the year. We've already had two games against the Brumbies, decided by two points. And McKellar even mentioned in his um, post-match presser that they've been leading for 156 of 160 minutes. So they've got a point to prove. Um, the Reds need to bounce back from their first loss of the season. There's really not much to dislike about this game. There's, um, there's just so many things to talk about uh, coming into it. And on that
1: note, are you predicting Mitch the same, I mean, tightness of the match? I mean, the potential injuries to Slipper and Samu may well depower the Brumbies front row. And we saw last time they met that it was really the changeover in the front row in a second
2: half. That was a big point of difference between the two teams. I think those injuries have a massive effect on the Brumbies but they're countered a lot by the Reds missing Hunter Paisami. Mm. Um, I think excluding maybe Tupo and James O'Connor, Pasami is so pivotal to that team. And I know we've got so many outside backs that can replace him. Um, even the last win against the Rumbies, we didn't have him in there, but that really still came down to, you know, a beautiful play by Fluke that I don't know if he can recreate um, some really great aerial finesse by uh, Jordy Patea. I think it's still going to be tight. Um, no matter how many injuries the Brumbies have, as we've mentioned, their squad is so good that they can call upon guys that, you know, can cover slipper finger and some of needed. And you'd still expect them to do a good job. Like you're still calling in someone of Scott CO, uh, Lockie Lonigan and even Luke Reimer into that starting team if that's how they choose to play it. They're, you know, gonna be capable of doing the job. So I still think it'll be tight. Um, but of course I'm going for the Reds and I expect them to win. <laughs>
1: And uh, you'll have my Mitch as well supporting with you. The converted Reds tragic after the as the dismal season that Waratahs have had. I just need to keep bringing the Waratahs back into this conversation yeah, sure. to make me feel like I have a purpose for being here. Thanks, <laughs> um, you, <Dan. laughs> thank you, thank you, uh, Nelson. Are you also seeing a really tight competition
3: for on Saturday night? Where do you think the differences between the teams are going to lie? Um, yeah, look, I, it's going to be a tight one, no doubt. I, I, as Mitch said, there's going to be a few changes potentially, but I think for me, there's there's two, there's two big changes. Slipper's one, if he's not there, that, that first match-up that the teams played each other, I think it was um, Ross was starting at prop and co, and the, the Brumby Scrum got taken to task. In that last match-up that they played each other, you had Slipper come back in, Ala Toa come back in. And both teams are on 100% of lineouts, 100% of scrums. And that just shows you how tight that is and how pivotal some of these front rowers are. Um, Phil Inga as well, if he's, if he's missing, that's you know it's going to be a, a tricky one to cover. But as, as I said, they do have those young players coming through. Uh, looking at the Reds, I, I actually was trying to toss up. There are quite a few options that they can do here to, to cover Pace Army. And I, I put up a, a vote on Twitter to see what everyone else thought. Just because I know I, I like to back my own thoughts, but to see if everyone else agreed, and sixty-two people voted that the wingers should be Dalgunu and Vunavalu. I'm not sure if anyone has any information on on Vunivalu outside of of what we know that you know he's he's been around but not not playing. Pataia at thirteen and Jock Campbell at fifteen. I, I think Jock Campbell's often overlooked in his influence and how much he actually contributes to this side because there are so many big, you know, well-known outside backs and influential backs for the, the Reds. But I just think he's such a crucial cog in that Reds back line.
1: Matt, how do you see the back line for the Reds actually lining up? Would you have Vinavali coming in considering he's had next to no game time in the last month? Do you think he deserves the position considering he's still pretty raw to the game of rugby?
0: Yeah, look I, I probably wouldn't and that's just me thinking i I think pataya is been settled at wing I personally don't think I, one of my bugbears about a guy like pataya and I think we've seen this with Reese Hodge is is we get these brilliant superstars with natural talent and then we move them around and we're not sure where we want to put the chess piece and so I really think he looks comfortable at the on the wing at the moment yeah. I you know I would bring fluke in I think he's proved himself he's in a good a good sort of um, back line system with um, with Stewart and then yeah I mean I don't know it's Campbell or Hegarty. Hegarty's got that sort of Mr. Reliable with you want in the final I think you could go either way. You could start with Campbell and have Hegarty and bring him on when things start to get tightened up at the, the back end of the game but yeah I mean Dalgunna is for me is you know and I like that Dalgunna and and um, Pattai are two different types of wingers as well um not to say you wouldn't want Vunavalu in your 23, but I'd probably start with that, that back line. Uh, I'd like to see that back line start.
1: Mitch, would you have Hegarty or would you have Campbell at 15?
2: The good news is we've beat the Brumbies with both of them at fullback. So <laughs> it doesn't really matter. <laughs> um, if I'm putting There's my another headline there. tomorrow. doesn't yeah. really matter. <laughs> um, if, if I'm putting my best back line out there without Paisami, I do think it's... Uh, Dow Gurnu and Pattaya on the wings with Stewart and Fluke in the centres and Campbell at fullback. Um, Hegarty offers a lot, but at the same time, I think that also suits him really well to the bench role. Um, He can come in at fly half if anything were to happen to James O'Connor, God forbid. Uh, He can cover 15. He could come into the centres really. He's a real versatile player Um, and someone that I would, you know, back to steer the game well in the last 20 minutes. Um, And Fluke, he took his opportunity so well in that game against the Brumbies I think it'd be a real confidence boost for him um, to give him that other crack and say, hey, we trust you to do it again. Um, we've seen what you can do. Go out there and show him that, you know, uh, the amount of caps you got isn't really an indicator of performance. So, yeah, I, I still think Campbell, he's more exciting. He's got that better attacking game at the moment than Hegarty, and we are going to need to pull some points on the Brumbies because they're such a strong team. So, for me, Campbell's got to start.
1: Yeah, I see that. The, the question I have with that back line is who's, who's doing the kicking outside of James O'Connor? And I have really been rating Hegarty's torpedo clearance kicks uh, in the yeah. last few games. And when you don't have Paisami with the increased kicking game that he's had so far and not, that he's developed particularly this season, nobody else really stands out as a particularly able kicker, although Pataia showed, what was it, last week, that he can do a 50-22 out-of-body nowhere, which yeah. is fantastic. <laughs> um but i think there's an element where you don't want to go all out attacking in my opinion within a final there's there's an element of defense wins the game and position wins the game and hegarty is a player that gives you that a little bit more particularly when you have some really dangerous runners like dunguni and and um and pataya on the wings assuming so i'm not sure if they need another mostly attacking back three player that might be better for a balanced perspective to have someone who is a little just a bit more stable play position settle the team down that that's that's Vuna, my kind of reason and yeah. i think Vunivalu's defense is
0: obviously not there yet you no. made the transition across and so you yeah. want that if it i mean I'm, I'm hoping and i i wouldn't surprise if the reds just think bugger it and just first five minutes they try to open up the game and play and just kind <laughs> of surprise the brumbies like they did last Well, no like the brumbies did to them i guess but if it doesn't cut, come off through the team, it'll then probably shrink back to this bit of a force back with the kicking, and and that's yeah. when yeah you, you want some good solid defenders on the on the peripheries. But yeah, it's going to be a very game. I'm very jealous, uh, Mitch, of your, your ability to go and watch this one. That's going to be a cracker.
1: All right, let's put our money where our mouths are, Mitch. Who's winning and by how much?
2: Uh, I'm going to the Reds. Um, I, I do think they can do it again. And you know, if my maths is good, two wins by two points, two by two is four. So let's just do Reds by four. Reds by four, great, Matt. Oh,
0: I've I've changed my mind after us talking, and and you've scared me, Nelson, with the the casualty ward uh, of the Brumbies. I was <laughs> I was initially thinking the Brumbies could just get over line. I'm going to say Reds, but I'm going to say Reds in in extra time. I reckon it's going to be a,
2: wow.
1: um,
0: a even, and, and the Reds will score the try. Okay, cool. The Red, so reds, reds by a trying uh, in yeah.
3: in golden time.
1: Brilliant, Nelson.
3: Yeah, I'm. I'm not going to deviate too much from the storyline here, boys. I, I think the the reds are going to get it done, and it's going to be an extremely close one. And it'll probably be by one score. I'll, I'll go, you know, split the two and four and go three.
1: Brilliant. And just because I would rub this in uh, both Mitch's faces for so long if this happened, uh, I'm going to go Brumbies by five. Um, Now, I actually think the Reds are probably going to win, but I just want to be calling that um, it'll actually be the Brumbies. So if it does come off, then yeah. Plus I need it for my tipping competition. It's the only way I'm coming anywhere near the top. So I've got to call an upset here or I'm just languishing down the bottom. So let's shift now to a bit of a conversation in regards to almost the whole of the competition, looking back over 10 rounds of Super Rugby AU. And it's great to be able to talk about both the player of the competition and the moment of the competition. But starting with the player, Matt, has there been anybody that you can just, hands in the air, straight away go, sir, sir, this is the player of the comp?
0: Yeah, I I think it's a pretty obvious one. And I'm just going to go with the the JAC. I think James O'Connor has... We've all seen how he's, you know, come back and he's this new improved, you know, jock version two with his, I don't know, his health health drinks and his, you know, and, yeah. And but there's just something about his rugby that's also really encouraging. The maturity he brings when he was thrown in at captain, the decisions he's made, his kicking, just you know, has been sort of spot on. And you know, he he I think will be the probably the quarterbacks are always the critical ones in these games but him versus a who obviously had a bit of a uh an interesting game last night but i think jock is for me being all around from from game one to to now has just been the most consistent performer and and you know across pretty much every every position uh every every one of the other people who are fly halves i think he's just been he hasn't disappointed but also just his his mindset and and his attitude and the way he attacks the game. Um it's it's it's
1: really impressive. What you're saying to me is that Robbie Deans was right those many years ago for no, picking Robbie James Deans, O'Connor no, at ten. I, 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 I still <laughs> challenge that.
0: That was I think but but, yeah, it was, oh gosh, you, you bring, it back, <laughs> you bring it back nightmares, Andrew. I was there at game three, and um, it was one of, the, one of the worst days of my life. Anyway. I've just triggered yeah.
1: something hard by saying that. How good. Oh, you have.
0: Yeah, I'm going to spend the rest of the day lying on a couch.
1: <laughs> oh, good. Oh, good. Uh, Nelson, so we've had James O'Connor called. Um, I actually, when Matt was saying, oh, there's one player who's a standout, and then he said James O'Connor, I was a little bit surprised. Who are you thinking is the
3: standout? Look I, I it's it's hard probably to to pick one. I I've, I've gone for for something to me that means a lot and that's fantasy footy. And uh, <laughs> I think that can back up my my opinion here but I I think you could definitely put a lot of names down uh, down here. Unfortunately there's not many Waratahs that have played good for for a full season so I'm going to have to jump over and, and maybe put that Queensland hat on that, uh, that um Mitch is wearing but I'm going to say Tate McDermott. Tate McDermott for me, I still think he has some key work-ons, um, definitely, but he's just got an ability in this red side to be very influential in their outcome because not only do they have a, a pretty solid forward pack and and they've got, you know, dominant players out wide, he's just a very, a very scary player to face up against as a defensive team because he keeps that ball moving quick. He can he can shoot off the side of those breakdowns, moors and lineouts, and and keep you guessing. And I think for me, that's been something that's been you know noticeable for a few years. But I I think there's been some improvements in some of his other parts in his game. I, I still think he's a little bit slower than some of the halfbacks in, in terms of his passing game, but his kicking game's improving. I think defensively, he's been improving. I don't know if anyone else has seen it, but I've seen him you know channeling a little bit of faff De clerk and actually shooting out of the line on the sides of Rucks and Moors and, and trying to make a, a hit on that you know, first receiver. And that's something I'm I, i I'm just loving seeing him evolve his game because I think he's just got those one or two work-ons and he could be a world-class halfback for me. And 45-point average for our fantasies are pretty bloody good for a halfback and he's, he's the top-performing Aussie player when it, when it comes to stats.
1: Now, Mitch, I'm assuming you're going to pick a Reds player. So come on, let's say it. Let's hear it.
2: Well, I've got notes from Curtis. Uh, he wanted to voice his opinion. Um, so, Curdie's top player was uh, a tie between Angus Bell, Dave Perecki, Harry Johnson-Holmes, Sam Ked, Houston, <laughs> player, Lockie Swinton. Uh, the list goes on. Um, now, I, I, I did try and be really um, civil, I guess, and I did a top three from each team, and I was pouring through, and I thought, gee, these players have done so much for each of their sides, and... Uh, they've each got different reasons why they could be, but I think Matt nailed it the first time. Um, James O'Connor to me just across every domain of ball in hand, defense, kicking, leadership. Um, he's he's the sole reason the Reds won those two games against the Brumbies, and I hazard a guess that if he had been captain against the Force, they probably would have beat them as well. Um, <laughs> that's as big a call I'm happy to make with that. And then yeah. no. No slide on Liam Wright either because he's a great player, but I just thought James O'Connor has really masterminded what it means um, to play for the Reds uh, this season. I think he's been talismanic for them. Um, so as much as there's, you know, great candidates from each team, I do think James O'Connor pips them all slightly.
1: Do you actually want to run through that list? Do you have it written down there with you, Mitch?
2: Yeah, yeah, I got it right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Do you just want to quickly name them? Don't, don't. Uh, explain each one of your picks, but just name the players cool. from each team that you thought
2: were the top three. Uh, so for the Tars, I thought Carlo Tizano, Angus Bell, and Izzy Parisi. Um, for the Rebels, Joe Powell, America Corinbetti, and Frank Lamani you know, for his work on the wing. Um, for the Western Force, Filetti Kaituu, Richard Kahui, and Sidolaki Tamani. For the Brumbies, Rob Valatini, Tom Banks, and Tom Wright. And then for the Reds, uh, Fraser McBride, Taniela Tupo, and then James O'Connor. Yeah. So the Tupo one is the
1: one I actually thought you were going with at the start, Matt. Mm-hmm. And then, Nelson, I thought you'd go through too. Like, I just thought that um, Tupo's impact, well, I guess maybe it's not impact because we saw a lot of this last year, a lot of the same from him, in that he's not necessarily redefining what a front row forward can do. Because I think we've seen some really key players from the Northern Hemisphere, such as Ty Furlong, do this style of game before. But it's very rare that we can see a player of his dynamism of his athletic ability, but also his just pure power and strength in the scrum as well. And that's something I think he's really worked on this year, which has been a big point of difference. And for me, that ties into my moment of the competition. So in the last match where taniella Tupo breaks through, knocks over about 18 players on the way <laughs> through to the try line, no exaggeration, I promise you, and then dots the ball down. For me, that was just awesome to see an Australian front row forward be able to do that. And our front row has had issues historically in the last 10 years of being capable of standing up at international level. I'm not as worried about that anymore with the upcoming French France series. I think that our front row will be okay, largely because of him. So um, Mitch, do you have a particular moment that really is burned into your memory either
2: as a positive or a negative? Uh, yeah, there's a few that stood out when I first saw the question um, prompted and I wanted to, try not um, throw reds one in there (laughs) so the one that stood out i think most was um the western forces 20 to 16 win over the waratahs um just the look of relief but also just pride on the western force players because they'd gone through all of 2020 without a win but had been so competitive for a team that you know really didn't have much of a right to be competitive um it was all just based off their sort of self-belief of the training they'd put in and you know what they wanted to do for you know their you know Western Force fans and uh, for Western Australia as a whole. Um, so to come so close last year without the win, I think was quite grating. But that win against the Tars, it was hard fought. It was um you know not a convincing win by any means, but it just looked like the massive turning point the Force needed, and they made a you know massive comeback that led half of the season because of it. So I think that was just a massive feel good story for the. Um, enticed with the rugby community, maybe excluding Waratahs.
1: <laughs> Matt, as a force <laughs> fan, how did you, did you feel the same about that win? Or was there another moment that really was stand a uh, standout oh, for look, you?
0: And uh, you know, I don't mean, I hope this doesn't sum off maybe completely, um, sort of favoritism, but yeah, it was the Western force moment. I'm going to go with 74th minute of the game after that. Um, Jordan or o'f- third try which came off this brilliant, you know, little chip grubber through from um, Richard Kahui. You know, it was the try itself was obviously this lovely, you know, perfectly executed back move from a, from a rugby move. But the, what it meant in terms of obviously, you know, it, it put the force into a final. Uh, it meant a lot to people from Perth, meant a lot to people from Melbourne who were then going to go and play <laughs> the following night. Um, I think you know it sent. Hopefully, it sent shivers down uh, the Brumbies spine a bit. They then had to kind of rethink. Okay, maybe we're going to be playing the, the Force. It sent the the Reds back on a on a corners flight with, with the food not tasting so good. And um and for a guy like Jordan Olofello, I mean, what a story! He was a bench warmer for Leicester Tigers. He's an England Under 20 player. He, he flies the other half, the other the other side of the world, and and third game in, he scores a hat trick. So for me, that was, that was probably the one time this year I've, I've actually leapt up, I genuinely leapt up off the couch and um, screamed at the top of my voice, much to my family's um, alarm, because it was just such a moment. It was just such a moment that meant so much. Um, it, so, it meant so many things.
1: And that's one of the things I wasn't sure about that signing of Olufela midway through the season because I knew of him vaguely through listening to a couple of English rugby podcasts and I'd heard the name and I know the Tigers suck and they've sucked for the last few seasons despite having a cast of really, really big signings on their team. So I just wasn't too sure what to expect and yet he's been massively influential since he's come in. So that's that's a really, really good pick uh, from you, Matt. Nelson, how about you? Any particular moment? That you want to draw out?
3: Yeah, look, I am and over both those last two two moments. I, I think they were really influential, and and I did think someone else would speak about them. So I, I thought try to be a little bit different, and uh, not that it's too different because it's along the lines of the, the Queensland Reds still. But for me, it was it was that moment with that Pesami, grubber and Pattaya try yeah. to, to beat the Brumbies in that that first match up. I. I mean, the, the Reds through last year showed so much promise and, and they've been building for the last few years. But for me, that was it. They're where they've gone, you know what, well, we've got that full belief. We can beat any team, you know, even in the, those dying seconds. And I mean, it shows an evolution of Paisami with his grubber and, and you know, the confidence to be able to do that. Pattaya as well to to finish off that game. And, and these are two players I think will have, you know, long wallabies, careers and I just think it's great for the competition for you know it was a, a changing over of the mantle a little bit with the the Reds trying to stamp their name over the Brumbies and and then they've backed it up since and and hopefully they can do it on the weekend again
1: now, yeah. I, I know I mentioned um, Taniela Tupo earlier, but I'm the host. I'm going to give myself another one. And uh, <laughs> I was particularly interested in, well, not interested, but I just thought that the interview um, that Nick McCardle did with the Waratah CEO, um, Paul Paul Dawn, yeah. and that was that was for me just a really significant statement of intent from the Stan Sport AU team in terms of the quality of the kind of broadcasting or the journalism that they were wanting to do within rugby because I am not sure whether or not Fox Sports in their dying throes of the last couple of years would have bothered to do something so detailed in in depth and whether or not the Waratahs actually would have said yes to it anyway and I was just super impressed by the professionalism of Nick McArdle within that. But also the fact that he he didn't hold back. But he didn't hold back in a um in a clickbaity just trying to get a rise out. But he he asked the questions that the rugby public were wanting to know at the time. And although Paul Dawn definitely deflected a large majority of those, uh, McCardle did his job in asking and pushing for those. And so that's just, for me, this season, a really encouraging sign of, of what Stan Sport are trying to do within the nature of the broadcasting and the journalism behind the scenes, which is aside from the on-the-field action that has been really, really exciting at many points throughout this year. And now what I think we'll do is we're going to shift to like I said at the beginning of the pod, possibly the best and most enjoyable thing that any podcaster actually does, which is to talk and hype up Wallabies teams. Now we're actually doing a good thing. We're doing it at the end of the regular season rather than the beginning. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> we've we, let's go to the Wallabies chat and Matt, you have a bit of, let's say, an international perspective because you're based out of London at the moment. um, Do you have a particularly spicy take on who you think is going to really be in a conversation come that 23-man team that runs out against the French coming up soon?
0: Well, okay, the
1: last time we
0: had a very strong Brumbies and a very strong Reds team and everyone else was a bit, well, the only other team at the time uh, was a bit behind... Is, is back in ninety eight, ninety nine, right when we were when we were you know, brilliant, and I feel that that is encouraging because we've now got two like you. I would probably look at it being a Reds, Brumbies, well we make up with a scattering of of, of players from the other teams. Um, the guys that I've, I guess for me, you know we can also look at it now, but I just think the real test is going to be in the next months or so when we see guys playing against the Kiwis and I think I, I think of someone like Matt Tamour who I I've always thought is probably one of the best players we have but he's had a very average season and yeah. he's just looked out of place out of sorts his kicks have not come off he's missed shots he would normally get and he's and you can just see it in his face he's internalizing this pain and he's trying to figure it out he may come good when he starts playing Kiwis and I don't know whether that's just all of a sudden he's he's, he's going to You know ramp up that level and i I just wonder whether we're going to see across the board certain players who have perhaps been a bit underwhelming um grow grow an extra tail once they play uh the the trans tasman matches so you know at the moment who who's looking you know a solid i think you know as i've said jock i think's the performer he's probably your 10. Uh, i can't really see you know him sort of being pushed out of that that team what i would hope is that we also go with players in position. So like right now, I don't think the makes it personally. I think you could maybe make the 23, but until he looks a bit more settled in a position <clears throat> like wing, um, I'd be struggling to put him in, but yeah, you know, Valentini's just, you know will the, will the real v- Rob Valentini stand up? And he has, and all of a sudden, you know, he, you can't think of a back row without him in it. Um, I'm just interested with, 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 with numbers, I guess, you know, hoops is going to be coming back from Japan, but you know, there's some real pressure there, um, you know, and Tizano has been, for me, one of the shining lights of the Waratahs' otherwise dreary season. So I don't and, know if I've given you any names there. It's probably a, uh, bit, a lot of nothing. But um. you've, I, I just
1: want to pick on one of those points before I throw to one of the other boys. But, Matt, if you were Dave Rennie and you have Michael Hooper, the incumbent captain, coming back from a season over in Japan where he he's played somewhat regularly, but he's coming off the bench nearly all of his matches. He's not getting a huge amount of game time. And the competition is without a doubt a step below super rugby, even though it is super rugby. AU compared to the comp with the Kiwis? Do you, do you have him starting? So I'm, I'm going to put you on a spot here, Matt, who is your number seven and who is your captain?
0: Oh gosh. Um, Oh, look, if I was, I'll say captain first. Um, <laughs> I would probably go with jock. I've been so impressed with him and I know it's odd because he's not the, the regular captain at, in Queensland, but, um, I, I think he's proved himself to be a great player. Great tactical decision-maker at critical moments. So I would probably put him at 10 and make him the captain. Um, as, as far as my number seven, I like Tizano. I don't think he's played himself into a wallaby Jersey. Um, I I'd, I'd think it's got to still go with hoops because I imagine the season That he's had has also helped him you know just kind of recompose recharge the batteries a bit and he's not a guy that comes back and sort of needs much time to to get you know he's a lion you don't lions don't need to warm up when they go make their kill he'll just come back and get straight into it
1: mitch i'm betting you're firing up there because he's just inadvertently talked down the chances of fraser McWright getting the starting seven jersey how do you feel them's fighting
2: words Oh, look, when it's the Wallabies captain of, you know, the last few years, like, it's hard to get too upset. Um, I'll save the tears for later. But no, I think realistically, um, yeah, Matt's completely right. Hooper could walk into any test match and be completely prepared and ready to tackle the task at hand, both as a open side and as a captain. So while he's over in Japan, I, I think the French series is probably a good chance to blood Fraser McRae. Um For those games, I do have McRae starting at seven. But of course, if it's a, you know, blood is low to side, or if it comes to that or if you know we're in the rugby championship and hoop is available it makes sense to have him as a seven um when he left he was the best player in australian rugby i can't imagine he's got that much worse even if he is in japan playing a different kind of rugby so um i'm not really too fussed that's probably the one time that i won't get up in the air about a waratah starting over a red but <laughs> um yeah no, no for the time being i i don't really mind uh, who gets that jersey all right, beyond that then, with that very
1: diplomatic and well-worded response there, my friend. Uh, beyond that, who do you see is putting their hand up for a wallaby start? And I'm not kind of just saying the, the kind of expected people like a Tupo. Uh Who do you see, say, starting at hooker, maybe within the back row A 12 is a really interesting one considering the injury to Hunter Pasami and whether he'll make it
2: back? Yeah, I think, um, as you say, some of those positions are a lot more ready set than others. Hooker at the moment is the one that I struggle the most with just because we've got a lot of options but no standout. Um, for me, it was a toss-up between two people, and I went for Flower only because I've got James Slipper and Alan, uh, Alan Alalatoa as the starting props. So I think if you've got that cohesion with the other Brumbies forwards, it makes it a little bit easier. But then the other player I was tossing up was Dave <laughs> Bereke. He's got that age. He's got the experience, but he's got probably the best set piece out of those guys. His line-out throwing has been unreal for the Waratahs um i know he's you know we can't just base off the numbers but he's probably been one of the more direct throwers and hasn't had as many misses with a much worse set of locks than the other teams so to me dave pareck has got to be one of the more seriously considered options um at 12 i've got hunter plus matt brought up before tamil hasn't been at his best and we want a long-term option we want someone that can play well there um he's done unreal at 12 and 13 for the reds which shows that if it came to it in a real map situation, we could have him, you know, move around and he'd be comfortable. Um, so to me, he's a pretty solid fit for 12. Um, the other contentious ones, I guess, are the lock position and 13. Mm-hmm. So I've gone for Neville to start with Salakai Lotto. Um, really could have been uh, Tamani as well, but I do think we need one of those older, more experienced players, but someone that just does all that hard work, the big carries that not necessarily, you know, getting line breaks, but just, you know, sucking defenders uh, and Lenny Cadell, he's re-inspired me for that 13 Jersey. Um, Patea has, has already been brought up. He's switching between 13 and 14. So I'd be happy to have him on the bench, but I think Ikatao's probably been enough um, of a consistent option to start alongside by for me. Nelson, were there any red flags in
1: something that Mitch said there, or are you generally in agreement with his opinions?
0: I think it was all uh, red did...
1: flags, wasn't it? All reds everywhere. <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> that, yeah,
0: well done.
1: I didn't even <laughs> mean that.
3: <laughs> no, you said a few words so that sounds good to me. But no, look, realistically, um, between Mitch and Matt, I'm I'm very similar in terms of my thoughts. So I, I think there's the two options of Temur, Paisami or Paisami Ikatao as as just your, your centre pairing at the moment. I'd love to say Parisi could could get a crack at one point, but I just think he needs a bit more time before he before he can work himself into that side, but. I think Tamua as a 12, his defensive ability and you combine that with base army is is going to be something that would be really important against this French side as well. So I'd like to see them together. I'd be putting Jock as as my my captain and, and to be honest, in game one, I'd be starting McWright that's coming out as a, as a Waratahs fan, I, I think he's earned it. He's done enough. And I think if it's, if it's going to be a game coming up soon that you you need to start him game one, Hooper can work his way back into it. And and I'm sure he probably will, but he's a very good impact player. So he, he might actually, actually be brilliant off the bench for the, for the Wallabies coming back as well. Makes him hungry, makes him drive to, to get back into that starting Jersey. Um, There's probably nothing too, too off, you know, that, that normal path. Uh, I think Faenga would probably be my hooker as well, combining with Slipper and Ala Ala Toa. I think Bell's your, your loose head prop, although we were talking about Robertson. I, I think Angus Bell's been pretty devastating, um, and he's done enough for me, and, and he wears a Waratah's jersey, which is great.
0: <laughs> poor old, poor old Alex Murphy is sitting on the bench, but I reckon, geez, he, didn't he stand up when he got given a chance?
3: Alex Murphy is a really solid hooker, and it's it's been interesting that battle with Brendan playing mosa and himself, and it almost feels like each year they, they've rotated who gets more game time. And earlier on this year, I think Murphy, I thought he'd done enough. To, to get that starting jersey in, in the reds for a, you know a little while longer but Brendan playing Gamosa, I think is just that little bit more solid of a scrummager and I think if you're going into that international level uh, I think that might be a, a pretty important thing moving forward.
1: Yeah one of the names that I've really been interested in is Feliti Kaitu, obviously from the force and that I like everything he does except for when he rips the ball forward from an offside position. (laughs) Um, But also his line-out throwing as well is the thing that really lets him down. Even in the match, um, I'm just amazed at how many not straight line-outs just aren't getting called. Yeah. Like if, uh, both sides last night were just throwing mm. him over the shoulders. I'm pretty sure Felici Coutou threw one that went about three meters uh, onto the side of the force last night too. But I, if he was able to fix up that area of the game, just somehow wave a magic wand in the next month, I would love to see him with a Wallabies jersey in the next 12 months or so. Um, he has this devastating ability to, to just absolutely smash people in defense. He's decent over the ball and with the ball as well and he's not afraid to be running in those wide wide channels too which uh, is kind of a la Dane Coles and if we can have someone who I hate as much on our team um, that would be great because Dane Coles <laughs> is just the worst person in the world um, but the other the other person we mentioned him before is he Parisi now I, I'm not saying he's going to be a wallaby in this France series but how good has he been in the last four weeks since he's come back or three or four weeks since he's come back from his suspension and I just love that we've got another name to throw into the ring maybe for 12 months time
3: yeah I think he could be you know someone that could could get a test at some point this year in that 23 jersey and he can cover the wing he can cover outside center depends you know if we we have a couple options that can fill that at 10 Jersey, someone you know like Tamur in, in the centres as well. But I, I'd honestly love to see him outside someone like um, Sami. I just think there's you know, potentially a very, very devastating centre pairing moving forward. Uh, I still think, um, I think Parisi's got a few things he probably needs to tidy up before he's going to be, you know, a, a devastating international quality player. But if it's just he's running in his defence, they've been pretty brilliant. Um, I know they're two pretty big big parts of his game, but um, I think early on in this season, if you actually went to a Waratah's game and watched him off the ball, I think he needs to get back in position quicker, get off the ground quicker, get involved in that defensive line a little bit quicker. And I do think it has improved throughout the year, but I just think he's probably not there yet.
1: Yep, I can hear that. Now, we're kind of getting to the point where we're going to start wrapping things up. So what I might do is, uh, are there any final comments we want to quickly say about potential Wallabies, Bolters, or opinions about that? And I'll start with you,
2: Mitch. Any final things on the Wallabies chat? I think one of the things that's um, been great is seeing this player of national interest squads or these extended squads that Rennie's put together because you can see the players that you know aren't quite there yet but are putting their hands up. And so I am very keen to see players like Kai Two or you know, Tim Anstey or Sarah Uru, you know, players that probably aren't at a Wallabies level yet, but just to get that exposure in the environments and whether that helps just with their Super Rugby level or um, they can make that transition. Um, I was putting together, you know, my ideal 23, and then I was just trying to fill out the rest of the possible options that, you know, prop and lock and every position. And it's one of the deepest lists I've been able to put together in recent years just because there's so many people putting their hands up, you know, the fact that, We're talking about these props, but, you know, Pony Farmer-Suli and Harry Johnson-Holmes aren't even mentioned. Um, You know, we've got, you know, six other props we've mentioned before them. It's pretty crazy just how deep um, some of the positions are. So uh, for me, I'm just really excited to see who they go with. And I guess my big hope is just that they pick and stick uh, to some degree because, you know, we are getting pretty close to the World Cup. We want to win some games now, but obviously uh, we should have that sort of carrot dangling in front that we've got a really young, inexperienced squad uh, if we can pick some winners now, um, we're seeing ourselves up really well for the next two years. Matt,
0: I think I think it's a fair point. And sometimes it's not about picking. It's just sticking with and, and grinding through mm. maybe some tough games. You know, we'll, we'll ask some questions and may not like the answers initially. But I think if you put your faith in some of these players, you know, history has shown that sometimes teams have gotten pantsed, have then turned it around. Mate, the best example, of the Wallabies of 97 getting smashed by South Africa. That was pretty much the same team that won World Cup two years later. Yeah. Um, it's just funny. One thing I would—you mentioned Sarah Uru. I've got a—I've got zero knowledge about this, but I'm making a prediction that he will probably get snapped up by Fijian and Drua if they're if they're recruiting correctly. They should be snapping him up and lining him up to to be a Fijian. So yeah, because yeah. Makes and I, sense. I wonder whether there'll be a. A moment this year where you know rennie or someone makes an approach and he and then someone else makes a pro and then he's got to make a decision which path do i take because you know the, all of a sudden for a guy like him who's who made the under 20s he'd, he'd be a first guy you'd want to start putting in that in that squad
1: yeah maybe frank lamani as well mm-hmm. yeah that's a really good call which raises some pretty interesting questions down for the four. So they've got Joe Powell now who had a really, really strong season, but it'll be interesting to see who they back up, whether they just remain with Bobby Tuttle or um, if they get some new up-and-coming in to be that bench scrum half. We haven't mentioned
0: Wessels as well. Uh,
1: Yeah, that's (laughs) a good point. I mean, uh, why don't don't we quickly chat about that in a moment? Anything final in terms of the um, Wallaby score? Do you want to say, Matt?
0: No, no, I think it's all been
3: covered. Okay, all good. Nelson? Um, look, I think the the big hole for us probably at the moment is lock. We've got some serviceable locks there. Lukan a Lotto, I don't think has, has been his best self so far this this season. Um, also the same, like Caden Neville, he's up there in terms of numbers, lineouts and his involvements in the game. He could definitely get a chance in there. But we've got, you know, Isaac Rodder signed to come back. And we've got Matt Phillips signed to come back and... I mean, I, I think we're pretty crazy if we don't get them involved back in in this squad if they're if they're returning.
1: Yeah, that was my comment that I was about to make. Was that uh, are we going to see? Are we going to see those two join back with the Welby squad? And if so, how's that Isaac Rodder reunion going to go with all the Reds (laughs) players that are going to be in a Welby squad? I'd love to be a fly on the wall for some of those hard conversations that may well be had. But why don't we quickly just touch on the pretty hot, hot news in terms of Dave Vessels voluntarily stepping down. Perhaps it was a jumping off the end of the plank before he was pushed, but either way, he has stepped down from coaching the Melbourne Rebels on supposedly amicable terms. And the statements that he's made, both written and on camera, are very complimentary to the Rebels community, the Rebels team, and the time that he's had there at the club I don't think many of us would be surprised that he's stepping down or that he's not going to be the coach. I personally was surprised it was now rather than mm. at the end of the Trans Tasman competition. Uh let's start with Matt. What did you think in terms of the timing of this? Tim Horan
0: wasn't wrong, was he? No. Um, <laughs>
1: um look, I yeah, you're right. It was a very dignified
0: exit and you know, what a, a really nice guy presents himself a really nice guy, but yeah, the, it was odd timing. Um, I don't know much like with the Penny situation. They felt that they wanted to give someone in that, you know, assistant coach a chance to maybe put, you know, put 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 their imprint on the team to set it up for next year. I just, yeah, I, I'm I'm sort of still questioning with the Rebels where are they going as an organization because they've got to, like with Penny, you have got to ask your questions of the organization and the board and everyone. Is are we doing the right thing uh holistically you know strategically because you know he's not a bad coach and they've got a great they have had a good squad so you know what are the questions that are kind of the answers are going to come out of this um i i hope he i hope he continues to coach i imagine if he wants to he'd go overseas and probably you know be a great coach for a sort of a a pro 14 team or you know somewhere in um in europe but um you know maybe he'll come back and and hopefully he does because he's a young guy
1: yep nelson what's your hot take and i'll throw it over to mitch before we finish up
3: my my thought is that from the way he was talking in in recent weeks i don't think he wanted to leave so my my gut tells me the awkward timing and everything that's been set up until now that he's probably been given the chance to step down and and do it in that sort of way and i think he's he seems like a very positive um coach and i think he's he's probably done it in a you know amicable way and say that everyone's happy and this is the way it's got to go but Um, For me, in his time there at the Rebels, you know, you've seen double the amount of Melbourne-born players playing and so I think there's been some positive changes while he's been there. I think he's a very good coach. I think the time that he came across, you know, they had huge turnover of players and and the talk's always that, you know, it's three years before you get to your peak at a a new club, so they, they just haven't been able to be too stable. There's always big names, but if you look at them this year, we talked about Frank Lamani, he's, he's a halfback that's been thrust onto the wing and played most of the season there. So I think he's a little bit unlucky. But unfortunately, I think with just the the results similar to Penny, I, I think it just was was bound to happen. And it's positive that it's happened in a way where he's been able to have his say and say, look, this is this is what I'm doing. I'm stepping down. Um, just moving forward, it's probably a more positive, positive thing for his career.
1: Mitch?
2: I mean, I think it's a shame because he's got a great head for rugby. And as Nelson pointed out, the Rebels, they were just bombarded with injuries this year. Um, their starting team from round one was nothing that resembled what their best 15 was based off their um, you know whole squad in February. So that doesn't help. But I think for me, it's not so much that it was the Vessel's fault, just... Over the last four years, I think they've had two opportunities to be in the regular Super Rugby Finals. Uh, they were mathematically a chance in the last round, and you know uh, they blew it in those cases. Um, this year, we saw a record amount of losing bonus points for Super Rugby a year. So we had 12 losing bonus points up from seven. Uh, the Rebels were responsible for uh, four of those, and they only lost five games. So they were in it with every match. I think nearly what they needed was a sports psychologist or something like that, just mm-hmm. to give them that sort of mental edge for those little moments vessels knows what to do like his game plan against the reds and brumbies two teams much better than the rebels on paper he had them within a kick of winning so i think it's a massive loss for australian rugby if he doesn't choose to stay in australia but at the same time um it is a results-based uh sport and when you look at the last four years and pretty much the squad he's had it's been lived with um wallaby's backs and they just really have never been dominant. I don't think they finished a the season with more wins than losses, if memory serves. So, um, it, to me, I can see why he would step down. But it is a big shame. Yeah, Nelson, I
0: you th- made a you made a great. Sorry to interrupt, the end. Nelson, you made a great point, and I just I did think about it after that game, that last match against the Waratahs. The press conference was quite um, mm-hmm. a little testy, I believe. Yep. I think it was Christy Doran I was asking some questions, yeah. and, and and Wessels was very hardline, saying, so, "No, you know, we're I'm not going anywhere. We've been." We've only lost by and and matt tamu alongside him said he's got the support of the players so it is funny how a lot like we all know in rugby a lot things can change in a in a day but certainly something did obviously <laughs> happen mm. in the last week for him to then make a bit of an about face in a way
3: yeah
1: yeah there's obviously something going on i mean mitch and i were chatting about that uh that, that conference pretty extensively because we weren't too impressed with Christy Doran's line of questioning there and actually thought it was pretty, I'm not sure if offensive, you know what, offensive probably is a good word for how, how it really went. And uh, I think Vessels was definitely feeling the heat in terms of how he responded to those. And I kind of like that he gave it back to Christy as well. I got nothing against Christy, but I just liked that Vessels um, went back at him. And that, yeah. that, 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 was, that was really good to see. But I think what we can really take Away from this conversation about the Melbourne Rebels is that the Waratahs now have a new coach Dave Vessels so congratulations <laughs> well done for signing um and on that bombshell I'm going to call time on this uh absolute gem of a bod podcast the uh, Royal Rumble of Australian rugby podcast so can I just firstly say thank you so much dear listeners for getting to this point of the podcast it's been absolutely brilliant being here with you all and having some great questions and answers going back and forth and can i quickly say a huge thanks to both mitch to nelson and to matt as well for coming on i'm ando it's been a lot of fun thank you so much everybody and have a wonderful week we'll see you yeah, later right. Cheers, guys.
0: this is the gold digger podcast series A spin-off from the new feature documentary film, Gold Digger, The Search for Australian Rugby, which will be coming out very soon. Brought to you by me, director and host, Matt Durham. And sponsored by whoever wants to reach out and pay me to have their name up in lights. Music is by Makeup and Vanity Set, sourced from musicbed.com. Check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash golddiggerrugby. Follow us on Instagram for pretty pictures and Twitter for banal chatter. Till next time, keep on digging.